listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, it feels like we haven't talked in like, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the topic for today, which I actually think is a really good topic following on the call we had with David Ryan a week or two ago is sales enablement and sales support. David took us into some of his methodologies and frameworks around how to improve sales effectiveness of subject matter experts. And I think both of you, both you and I left that conversation going, but we really need to talk about, you know, what does that look like from the marketer's perspective? You know, and, and, and so let's start there. Maybe let's just start with what is the difference between sales enablement and sales support? You know, what, what, what are, when we use these phrases, what does one mean versus the other? Before I answer that, Yep. I'm going to take a step back. And we talked about something on the smart stuff list that was related to clients' perceptions of our firms and that they don't make this distinction between sales, marketing, Mm. client service delivery, that they're all one unified client experience. And it's that mindset that sets up the importance of sales enablement versus sales support and this conversation because sales enablement at its highest level enables that integration across those kind of three traditional silos. And I, that's why this is important to our listeners. So what's the difference between the two? And we may get some pushback on this from our listeners. But in my experience, traditional sales support in professional services probably falls into three buckets or or tasks. The first one is making PowerPoint presentations pretty for client meetings, you know, a pitch, if you will, or writing a proposal, managing all the inputs to the proposal, proofing the proposal and getting the proposal done on time and or managing CRM, whether that's the data or managing the pipeline and activity reporting in it. I see that's where most professional services firms play and what I would call sales support. Well, yeah. The the funny thing about that is, and we've talked about this before, I know we have, is that there are a lot of firms that that is the entirety of the marketing function, that there is Mm -hmm. nothing else going on from a marketing perspective than that, which is means they really don't have a marketing function. They have a sales support function masquerading as marketing. But what struck me that was interesting about what you just said is that when you think about sales support versus sales enablement, there's some compares and contrasts we can make between the two. Support feels very reactive. Enablement is more proactive. You know, the things you described are very reactive things. Someone's asking you to do these things and you're responding to their request. Sales support feels very productivity oriented. Sales enablement feels very growth oriented. So, you know, back in at least in your framework of productivity school versus the growth school of marketing, the support function feels more about enabling the productivity of the seller, the silo that is the seller. And then the last one I kind of had was that, you know, sales support feels very behind the scenes and sales enablement feels very integrated. This idea that, well, if we're applying a sales enablement approach to our marketing efforts, then, you know, we're really endeavoring to deliver a seamless client experience, you know, from the the first moment they hear of us through the, the, the client service delivery. 
And that's a very integrated piece, which means that the marketing function in, in its in essence is going, is going to face the client a little bit more than they might otherwise. I think that's a good summary. Uh, sales support is behind the sales process. Sales enablement is ahead of the sales process in my mind. You know, we're, we're calling this podcast sales support versus sales enablement, but, but it, that's almost an unfair title for it because we're going to probably spend 95% of the time on enablement. <laughs> we're not going to give support really much, much day <laughs> is my sense. Because you, know, you, you already described in its entirety what sales support looks like. But to me, the question is, what does sales enablement look like? Because I think it looks very different. And they both have a place. You know, sales support is important. So I don't want to lead our listeners to think that those three things I just articulated are not important. I think the question is, is that something that marketing should be doing or is that the total of what firms should be looking at marketing to do, as as you said? Well, you know, before you're right. Before we talk about enablement, what, what's interesting to me is is should those traditional things that get lumped into marketing be in marketing? Should marketing be preparing the proposal itself? Should marketing be cleaning up the PowerPoint? Should they be doing those things, or should that be a function called sales support that's embedded inside of the practices and just that's what it is? I think that comes down to the firm, the firm's culture, and the firm's level of investment. Most often marketing falls into sales support because there's a limited investment in the resources needed to get and close business that generalists generally (laughs) often fill those roles and they end up just doing it all. And there are some firms and we have listeners, I'm sure, that are doing all of the marketing and all of the business development because they're one person. So it it just evolves out of investment levels and firm culture and size. That was no fun. It (laughs) depends. Classic consultant's answer, right? All right. Let's flip the table then. So then in sales enablement is proactive. Let's talk about some of the things that should be going on there from a sales enablement perspective. To me, there's a couple, maybe there's a continuum here. I mean, there's a couple things come to mind. I mean, depending on the type of firm that you have, there's account planning, right? There's account capture plans, key pursuit, win strategies, you know, so if you've got an AEC firm or some type of firm that's predicated on big competitive project work, you know, large scale projects that are competitive, no matter how you slice them, then that's a big piece of it is really getting out in front of those opportunities and planning for how you're going to win them. So I would argue that that's a, that's a piece of, of sales enablement or should be a piece of sales enablement in this context. I agree. But that's not all firms. That's true. I think it dovetails the firm's positioning, but specifically, who is our ideal client? And we've talked about this before, but which clients value our core capabilities in and worldview? And how do we find more of them is the starting point, I think, for you know a smart marketing strategy and a precursor for for sales enablement because once you you hone in on you know the market segments that you're going to serve or your ideal client sales enablement begins by dissecting the the buyer's journey which is becoming a trite term but understanding what prospects are thinking 
feeling and doing at each stage of that buyer's journey so that you can equip the sales team to anticipate those and and respond to them. And we'll probably talk about this in, in the future, but it's very much, you know, the insight selling or, or challenge or sale of understanding your clients and bringing them new insights and teaching them. But you can't do that unless you really understand and, and listen to them as well. So I think enablement starts with understanding that ideal client better than anybody else and I think that's one of marketing's key roles. Yeah. I mean, if you think back to our framework for the client's journey, you know, that four part framework that we did in a, in a podcast early on in in this, the the four stages of buying. And, you know, the way I always tend to look at it is that the four stages, you know, the first stage being learning, the second stage being vetting, the third stage being discussing. To me, the learning stage is, is the core domain of marketing. That's, that's really where marketing has its biggest responsibility in shaping the, the issues and the firm's point of view on how to address those issues issues in the marketplace before a conversation's ever happened. The vetting stage is obviously that transition point from learning how to solve a problem to exploring possible partners. Where I'm going is that, to me, the discussion stage, the stage that occurs when the client actually starts to interact and start to have real dialogue with someone in the firm about how the firm could possibly help them, that to me is where the sales enablement lives. So whatever marketing's doing to enable that phase of the buyer's journey to be the right one is what sales enablement is really about. I mean, we tend to focus as an agency, obviously we focus a lot of our energy and time on the learning stage, you know, really helping our clients cast that net that's going to bring back those ideal clients they want to have conversations with. But then what do they do with them once they have the conversation? Once they've got them teed up and they're ready to go, how are they going to translate whatever it is they were educating the marketplace on into a healthy next step in the buyer's journey? So I'm going to respond to what you just said with a yes and. I believe that marketing has a role on that back end stuff as well. While they may not be necessarily writing proposals as a sales support capability. I think sales enablement for marketing means helping the sales team shape the RFP ahead of time for prospects, or even better to avoid RFPs altogether. And not all industries, professional services industries work like that, but to the degree they can enable their consultants and business developers to shape the RFP or eliminate it altogether, that's a critical role of of sales enablement. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I I don't think I implied that marketing doesn't function on that that right-hand side of the model. I think I would just say that my sense is that if I had $100 of marketing resources, I would be inclined to put more than 50% of those resources on the left side of the model because my sense is that my job as the marketer is to go out into the marketplace create demand, create leads and bring them back for that sales leader or whoever to turn into revenue. But that's not always the case to your point. I mean, there, there may be instances where it makes more sense for that to be flip-flopped. So, you know, the, it depends of every good consulting engagement, right? Mm-hmm. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. 
If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. To me, one of the things that I find is critical in, in sales enablement is enabling the sales person to sell from the firm's thought leadership. So if the thought leadership exists in order to shape the client's journey in the learning stage of their buying process, then we have to do everything we possibly can to make sure that when the client initiates the dialogue, everything that they learned, everything that was so powerful that brought them to the table and the conversation comes through in into the conversations themselves, you know, so we don't want them to experience this really compelling, powerful insight only to have that insight be poorly communicated, misunderstood, or non-existent in the discussion stage of the journey. That happens frequently. And I'll give a very specific example. A friend of mine actually is is taking a, a sales function at an IT kind of consulting firm that focuses on security issues. And so he's come in to talk a little bit about our security situation in our agency and digital security. And what I find fascinating is that our current IT providers, so the, the, the managed services provider that works with us on a regular basis, we're not having any conversations about digital security right now with them about, you know, are we securing our infrastructure correctly, that kind of a thing. Simultaneously, the CEO of that particular provider is authoring a lot of stuff about security <laughs> on LinkedIn, right? So he's the CEO of this of this firm. He's writing about this extensively in the critical nature of how they should be approaching it. So to me, that's just a pretty significant disconnect in your client experience model, right? The CEO is talking about one thing, but in the delivery stage, no one's having those conversations. And that's a failure of sales enablement, right? Nobody's taking the mm-hmm. ideas of the CEO and bringing them down to the delivery teams to talk about with the clients. And, you know, that's one of the things that we've found is critical for sales enablement is educating the, the delivery teams, whether they're new business people or, or client account managers on what's inside the firm's intellectual property, what's inside the, the thought leadership we're producing and how should it be applied and what does it mean? So that's a big one that jumps out to me in terms of what firms should be doing from a from a sales enablement perspective or what marketers should be doing from a sales enablement perspective. They are the bridge. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about this too is, is, by the way, I mean, I know you've seen our, as we talked about it in a podcast, but the, the seven capabilities of exceptional thought leadership marketers that Bob and I have derived from our research. And one of those seven capabilities is what we call sales accelerators. And it's just this idea that if you're going to be phenomenal at thought leadership marketing, then building a critical skill at uh, translating your your insights into the sales process is really important. And one of the points of data in there I'm just going to share because I find it interesting is that the, the, the most exceptional thought leadership marketers recognize that how th- their approach to training the sales team is more critical to success than the content itself. So it's more important than, than big novel insights. So having you know unbelievable content is less less of an influencer on outcomes and success than really doing extensive training of the of the sales team on what's in the content itself, which I think is a pretty big statement. That is a great insight, and that encapsulates sales enablement to in a yeah. to a large degree. Is teach your salespeople how to teach these insights to their clients to position them as the preferred provider in whatever solution they're selling. I think that is, that sums it up nicely, without a doubt. 
Yeah, it, it surprised us, to be honest. I mean, it really did. I mean, just in the sense that, you know, as people that are in the business of thought leadership marketing, your expectation is that it all comes down to having a really compelling point of view or really substantial research to back it up or great proof points, you know, all the things that you classically think of in developing intellectual property. But that's just not what we took back from the marketplace. Not saying those things aren't important because those are all critical and they're in their parts of the, of the model. But the fact that the best of the best in this game said, well, man, how we train our salespeople is everything. That tells you something about how important this should be to the marketer. And maybe my model from before is wrong, right? I said, I'd spend more than half of my, my dollar on the left side of the model. Maybe I should be spending more on the right side. I don't know. I haven't thought about it at that level of granularity yet. It's nice to see you growing like this, Jason. <laughs> it doesn't happen often, so you might want to write it down. <laughs> I want to kind of shift from the the point of view and the thought leadership and the idea and teaching to something else that you said I think is important. And it's account-based marketing. And there is, or I should say, there are two mindsets of what account-based marketing is, and it's important to ground it. Some people think account-based marketing is targeted messaging on social media to, you know, key buyers in your key accounts or something like that. That's not what I think we're talking about when we talked about account-based marketing. We're talking about how you enable your salespeople to stay focused and to manage a complex sale in more often than not a large Fortune 500 type of company. And it's about making sure you have the coverage of, you know, the buying committee or whatever you call it, and that you're equipping your salespeople to tell the messages to those various buyers in terms of features and benefits of of solutions. And, you know, personas go to this somewhat, but I've written about and you've talked about, you know, the limited application of personas in the complex sale. It really is about equipping salespeople to have very personalized conversations that speak to the benefits and outcomes and fears of these buyers involved in purchasing these solutions. So you, you can't boil an ocean. So sales enablement and account-based marketing in particular needs somebody to keep it focused because salespeople, and God love them, they'll chase almost anything that will get them, you know, sales commission. And I get that. But part of sales enablement is making it easy for your salespeople to focus on the right clients. And the right clients are those that value the services that we offer, are willing to pay the premium or at least the the price we want to charge for them and not discount them. And it gives us scale so we're not reinventing the wheel every time we close a, a deal. So account-based marketing is is critical in that. So I'm glad you hit on that. Yeah, we should definitely do a podcast 
Just on account-based marketing, just because I think it's such a misunderstood topic and it's been sort of like everything else, I guess maybe in our marketing ruins, everything podcast been ruined by marketers, right? I mean, you know, when you think about the, the premise of account-based marketing was that you're marketing to an individual account, you know, so you're building, you know, like you said, a very, you're enabling an account manager to manage a complex sale. You're giving them tailored thought leadership. You're giving them tailored marketing assets. You're giving them all kinds of tools and resources to penetrate that account more deeply. And somewhere along the line, it's been turned into like a, I don't even know, like a account scoring model in a marketing automation platform or something. And, mm-hmm. and you know, accounts have been rolled together into groups of accounts, which really is just a market segment. So why is it account-based marketing? So I, it would be really interesting, to, I think, to, to dive on that deeper, because I agree that that is a critical piece of sales enablement, but there's so many different you know, flavors of what it can look like for a firm. And I think if we delve into that and gave a little more vision on that, that would be valuable. I agree. The final thing, because we probably need to wrap up, uh, that marketers need to be doing around sales enablement on the back end, but not as far back end as writing proposals and and doing PowerPoint (laughs) as we started. But the goal of sales enablement is to make the business development team more productive. That means more sales for less work. So marketing can add a lot of value by analyzing the selling and and buying cycle and looking for ways to remove friction in that process. That can be messaging, that could be approvals, that could be any number of things that, that get in the way. But marketers need to be analyzing CRM data and anything they can to to gain insights. And related to that, I don't think most salespeople have the time to go out and identify new tools that make it easier for them to sell. You know, we've talked about SaaS and, and, and all the solutions that are out there and how these things can be integrated together that finding the systems that work for your culture and and your sales process is critical but there is always something out there that can replace enhance or bring new capability in increasing the effectiveness and efficiency of business development and i think marketing's best position to to find that because these technologies are about meeting the client where they are and marketing should be on top of these as part of their market understanding. Yeah. It's interesting. You said that. I hadn't really thought much about that, but you're right in the sense that bad analogy, but it, it seems like the, 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 the sales function or the business developers of a firm are a little bit heads down, right? They're focused on the, the prospect. They're focused on the engagement they're focused on navigating the complexities of the deal, trying to lead the firm to success. And they, they, it's probably very rare where they can step back and say, well, is there, could I have done this a, differently, a better way? Was there, was there technology that could have made this smoother, simpler, easier, more effective? And so having someone objectively approaching that is, is probably really critical. And yeah, it makes logical sense that it would come from marketing. Mm-hmm. There we go. Another 20 minutes of our lives it goes so fast. This was really good conversation. I, mean, I, I look forward to, I, I think, the next conversation that we're going to have as well, which is really going to be about sort of different competing points of view on, on selling. 
And not that I want to get into an in-depth conversation about, about those points of view, you know, because we're, I don't think either one of us fashion ourselves as sales trainers, but I think it's a really interesting marketing discussion to look at those different philosophies and how they fit into your point of kind of the seamless customer experience. So look forward to that. Yeah, that'll be a critical discussion. All right, man. Talk next time. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. <laughs>